Well, good morning. It's really good to be with you this morning. Jesus said, it has been granted to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Won't you join me in prayer? O God, our heavenly Father, prepare our hearts to receive the seed of your word. Grant that it may take deep root and bring forth fruit to your glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So here's a riddle for you. What's the difference between a parable and a parabola? Well, the answer is that a parable has a point to it. This morning, we want to spend a few moments considering what many regard as the world's most famous parable. It is commonly known as the parable of the sower, and it can be found repeated in three of the New Testament Gospels. It's so well recognized that the image of a farmer casting seed was adopted by the Canadian Bible Society as its logo. And it comes, of course, from the teaching of Jesus. What makes the parable so well known? Well, its theme can be understood by nearly every culture across time. Even the most sophisticated urbanites have a basic understanding of agriculture. More significantly, it is one of the few parables that Jesus explains. In this case, he does the favor of telling us what the point is. Some scholars have called it, for this reason, the parable about parables. And in St. Matthew and St. Mark's Gospels, it is, in fact, the first parable Jesus tells. But this makes preaching on the parable a challenge, for it's a bit like having to explain a joke. Can anybody add anything useful to what the master storyteller has said? I worry that any explanation on the parable might actually dull the point. And I sometimes think that preachers might be more effective if after having read the parable, they simply said, think about it, and then sat down. Still, there is need for explanation. For in this parable, Jesus not only gives us insight into the parable's meaning, he also gives us a rare glimpse at what really happens to people when they hear his parables, and this deserves our attention. By the end of this morning's sermon, I want us to understand a little better why Jesus taught in parables, how we are meant to read them, and then to ask what some of the implications of the parable of the sower are for us today. So first of all, why did Jesus give instruction in parables? Well, it doesn't take a school teacher to recognize that a parable is an effective way of communicating an idea. Stories and images can sometimes take us more swiftly to the core of truth than a turgid academic treatise or a tedious sermon. This is why children's talks are often so popular in churches. While at Theological College in Vancouver, I belonged to a church where I was occasionally called upon both to preach and to deliver a message for the children before they went off to Sunday school. That was 40 years ago. And from time to time, I still run into people who attended the church when I was there. I'm always fascinated and, I confess, slightly chagrined to discover that whereas they cannot recall with any certainty one thing I said from the pulpit, they could easily remember a number of children's talks that I had forgotten. Good children's talks are like Jesus' parables in that way. They are pithy and memorable. 
This is what the late uh, Cambridge New Testament professor C.H. Dodd picked up on when he wrote a great definition of the parable. He said that a parable is a story drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. You see, parables do more than amuse and entertain. They are also a subtle way of getting past people's defenses. They are bait concealing a hook. In the case of children's messages, we all think that children's sermons are for children, but the truth is that they are actually for adults. In hearing what we assume is a simple message and while being distracted by the cute antics, the point of the message can suddenly pierce our souls and we find ourselves at a moment of reckoning. As Tennyson wrote, truth embodied in a tale shall enter in at lowly doors. Now this confrontation with truth is what lies behind Jesus' strange comment in verse 10. And here he says to his followers, it has been granted to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but the others have only parables so that they may look but see nothing, hear but understand nothing. Seems like such an odd thing to say. And we may wonder why Jesus would want to make his message both invisible and inaudible. But this is not his meaning. What he's saying is that while the parable is doing its job of charming and intriguing its audience, its message, like an arrow, homes in on its target. And before the listeners have had a chance to detect its penetration, they are suddenly faced with making a decision about whether or not they will accept and embrace the parable's teaching. And their decision then becomes a self-proclamation of either the stubbornness or the openness of their own hearts. You see, parables do not cause spiritual blindness and deafness. They reveal them. To those whose hearts are hard, Jesus' parables serve the purpose of exposing them for what they are. This is a truth hidden in the word parable itself, for the Greek word parabole literally means a casting alongside. It conveys this sense of making comparisons, and in making the comparison, there is a point, although the point is not always immediately obvious. And this is why Jesus says that parables impart secrets or mysteries. A parable needs to be interpreted. Like many cartoons, it requires a caption. And the challenge is to discover just what this is. Well, bearing these things in mind, how are we to understand the parable of the sower? And what are some of its lessons and challenges for us today? Well, in one respect, it's a simple lesson but it is a lesson that should be valuable to the most astute grain futures analyst. There are three, three main features of the parable. The seed, the soil, and the sower. And we might think about each of these briefly in turn. First of all, let's consider the seed. What is the seed in Jesus' parable? Look at verse 11. Helpfully, Jesus answers this question for us. 
The seed, he says, is the word of God. Now, there are many things which could be said about the word of God, but it is, in essence, the message of God and about God. In particular, it is a word describing God's work in the world, which is about the restoration of all humanity in relationship with himself. In other words, it is the gospel. The word of God is the good news of, the, of God's kingdom. But note here that the word of God is not just an idea or a hypothesis. Jesus likens it to a seed. And a seed is a living organism with astounding potential. It can grow into something that will often surprise us. One might think, for instance, of a venerable oak tree and marvel that all that massive girth and the grand canopy exists within the DNA of a small, single acorn. See, this ability of grain to grow illustrates the vast power of the emerging kingdom of God. Given the right conditions, the word of God will take root, it will glow, grow and flourish and it will reproduce, and it will become a source of blessing to the individual who enjoys its fruit and a pleasure to the one from whom it is taken and to whom it belongs. Of course, this recognition of the word of God as a living thing has implications for the way that we receive and treat it. And this is where we move from a reflection on the seed itself to the familiar types of soil. In the parable, Jesus describes four soil conditions, three of which are harmful to the growth of the seed. These kinds of soil represent different types of hearers, those resembling a footpath, those who are like rocks, and those whose lives are cluttered by weeds. The first may be described as those who simply will not listen to God's word. When they hear the gospel, it is little more than a meme that they scroll past in their Facebook feed. That's weird, they think. Who would believe such stuff? They may not realize this, but they are actually victims of forces in the world that would tell them not to take this message seriously. The second, the rocks, are those who do respond to the gospel for a time and their response is even positive, but their engagement with God's word is only superficial. So its strength and profundity evaporates when life gets hard. In Eugene Peterson's lively translation of this verse, it's only a fad, and the moment there's trouble, it's gone. Finally, there are those who are preoccupied with other concerns. The word of God is embraced, but it gets drowned out by the clamor of other things, the worries of life, the pursuit of wealth, the addiction to luxury. In each of these cases, God's word is not given a chance to thrive, for it is either denied the opportunity of taking root, or its root is too shallow to sustain life, or the life it produces is suffocated by pernicious weeds. It is here, of course, that we are inclined to find the parable personally challenging, for it is Jesus' way of asking us what have we done with God's word in our lives? Have we ignored or neglected it? Have we fully counted its cost 
and heeded its demands for tenacious loyalty? Has this word become drowned out by the din of other seducing voices demanding our attention? Or does this word live vigorously within us, producing blessing for ourselves and glory for God? Well, these questions might be enough for us to ponder, and one could end a sermon here. And yet there's more to this parable than simply making the soil types of allegory of our own souls. For the parable of the sower describes the presentation of the message as well as the necessity of a response that leads to productive living. In other words, the story invites us to consider the nature of the sower. Who is the sower in Jesus' parable? Jesus does not tell us. Most commentators rightly observe that since it is Jesus who brings the word of God, the sower must represent him. And the gospel accounts furnish examples of people who have trouble following him because of deception or persecution or worldliness. But let's hear Jesus' word to his disciples once again. It has been granted to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That is, the disciples have received the word of God's kingdom, and so it is they who must take up the satchel of fertile grain from the sower and become sowers themselves. And it is with this thought that we conclude. Are we not also followers of Jesus Christ? Do we not believe that the kingdom of God is even now growing within and around us as Jesus makes himself known? And have we not also been entrusted with this word of God? Then we also become heirs to a responsibility to sow this word in our world. The parable of the sower is a challenge to participate in God's mission. Notice that like the farmer of the parable, we are to be generous with our broadcast, not paying particular mind to the quality of the soil around us. Rather, our job is simply to get the seed out there. And the very fact that we are willing to take this message to the world, that is, to the people with whom we live and work, is an indication that our own soil is sweet and pure and rich. We who have received God's word with great care are now called to virtually recklessly share in our, to share this word, for we never know when we spread the seed what kind of soil it will fall upon. You know, there's a story recorded by the famous maritime naturalist and bird watcher, Roby Tufts. One day, Roby found a couple of teenagers hunting birds with a slingshot. He scolded them roundly and told them he was tempted to take them to juvenile court. And then one of the boys spoke magic words. I'm interested in studying birds, he said. So I asked him, Roby related, how many warblers he could name. He told me the name of six or seven. And he said he could identify them all. And then he named a whole string of sparrows. I immediately forgot about the law and told him to come see me at my office the next morning. Roby talked to him about birds, gave him books to read, took him on hunting trips, and helped him through Acadia University, where he graduated with honors. 
That boy was Earl Godfrey, who became Canada's foremost ornithologist with a worldwide reputation, and whose book, The Birds of Canada, is the Museum of Canada's most successful publication. Now, the point of the story is this. If Earl Godfrey was waiting for a Roby Tufts to come along and nurture him in the study of birds, who, I wonder, is waiting to have the seed of God's word sown in their hearts by you? Jesus' disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he replied, it has been granted to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Amen.